Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to Dangerous Minds, brought to you by Offscript. I'm Ed Stafford, the first person to walk the length of the Amazon River. I've always been fascinated by adventure travel. But is it an addictive, somewhat selfish escape, or could it be a powerful vessel for self-development? In this series, I'll be talking to some of the people I admire the most about why they do it, what they've learned, and what impact it has had on their lives. What does drive people to endure hardship while leaving those that they love to cope on their own at home? And is such risk-taking a reckless indulgence, or could it be a simple crucible in which one can resolve mental health issues and help find emotional balance in life? I've introduced my guest a number of times, usually at the Transglobe Expedition Trust campfire event, and each time I write his introduction, I go back online to check the extraordinary list of achievements that he's accomplished. In 1984, the Guinness Book of Records called him the greatest living explorer. And 36 years later, he's still breaking records and dreaming up more life-threatening feats. To the majority of my listeners, he needs no introduction at all. So without further ado, ladies and gents, Serrano Fines. Ran, hi, how are you? Hi, Ed. Not too bad, thanks. Locked down firmly, but otherwise fine. Yeah, I know. I, I bet this is probably the first time in your life that you've ever been referred to as vulnerable, I suppose, by the by the government. But you fall into that category because of your age, don't you? Yeah, it's called uh, geriatric. <laughs> how how have the last few months been for you? Has it been OK? Yeah, I mean, I've been very lucky because I had a very difficult biography to write uh, and a lot of hard work and concentration and being sort of by myself, you know, locked down. <laughs> has tied in with the contract date for the book. Just for the sake of the listeners who, who don't know our relationship, um, you and I had never met when I walked the length of the Amazon, um, but when I ran out of money and I applied to the Transglobe Expedition Trust um, for a grant, you guys said yes, and um, over the course of the expedition, I think you gave me £12,000 in, in total, which kept my expedition afloat and something that I will always be eternally um, grateful for. My first actual interaction directly with you was by email, actually, and I'm going to um, I'm going to read out your your first email that you wrote to me when I was when I was in the Amazon. It says, "Dear Ed, congratulations on your progress to date. I think that things will get increasingly difficult for you. Over 40 years, I've been involved in over 30 big journeys, at least half of them which have failed. It's always a matter for the traveller to decide in his or her own head when to turn back and when to continue." Sometimes to continue is plain daft and irresponsible, and at other times there is a chance that pushing over a particular obstacle or series of obstacles may make things look a whole lot better, in which case it's worth fighting off the weak thoughts which occur when morale is down. Only you can be the final arbiter. Whatever you decide in the weeks and months ahead, know that you already have done fantastically well, and we at Transglobe Expedition Trust are very proud of you. Best wishes, Ran. Um, do you remember writing that, Ran? Yeah, I remember writing that, and I remember writing many years later 
advice on what I thought uh, your prospective wife should or should not be. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that one up. Yeah. But um, from this perspective, was was I showing signs of... Um, of cracking up obviously you you seem to feel the need to uh give me a, a get out of jail card um at that point did it was it was it sort of visible that i was showing signs of stress well it, it, i wasn't entirely clear to what extent uh your uh companion was aware of all the jungly problems which you naturally from the uk wouldn't have been right okay it was genuine concern then yeah, I thought that he was just an urban bloke. You wouldn't have the other, not better half, but um, the other man with the experience who you can really rely on. I've always been incredibly lucky to have initially the late Charlie Burton, as far as ICE was concerned, and then subsequently for the last 30 years, Dr. Michael Stroud. And on top of everything else, he's a very good doctor, which helps him morale. The um, the person again for the sake of the listeners who Rand's referring to was Cho that I had with me. He was a a Peruvian forestry worker who um, I met after five months, and and um, he was absolutely um, amazing. And I, I, often you refer to um, I, I remember you talking about um, different people and the type of person that you have on an expedition. But um, Cho fell into the category I think that you advocate, which is having somebody that is emotionally very stable, almost a, a rock that doesn't have these peaks and troughs of um, of emotion, um, which, which I, I do personally suffer from. But um, he was he was exactly that. He was he was a rock. Um, I'm just going to read out again. This is just the very beginnings of our of our chat. But um, the first few lines of your profile on your website ran reads as follows. Um, born UK 1944, just after his father was killed in the war, brought up in South Africa, um, back to UK, Eton College, failed A-levels, joined the Royal Scots Guard, uh, Royal Scots Greys, tanks, Cold War, joined the SAS 1965-1966, youngest captain ever in the British Army. So um, that's quite an extraordinary start to life. Do you think that that, that childhood um, had an effect on what you've eventually become? I don't really think so, um, other than the word A-levels, because uh, my dad, when he was killed in the war, uh, yeah. had been to Sandhurst, didn't require any A-levels to get into Sandhurst. Okay. If you get into Sandhurst, you then have a regular commission, which means you might reach the top of your regiment, which was my big aim for the first 20 years at least. Yeah. But I don't want to blame South African education, but whatever it was, <laughs> um, I just could not uh, get out from Eton, which I got in at a good rate because of my dad being killed and all that. Um, and I didn't get A-levels at all. So I had to be sent from Eton to a Brighton place where you came away from there, you had your A-levels under no circumstances. Everyone got their A-levels. Unfortunately for me, I joined their place in Brighton called Davis's down there. And um, it was at the height of the mini skirt era. And therefore, concentration was impossible. And I failed the A-levels twice. And so I couldn't do, to answer your question, what I always wanted to do, be colonel like Dad was of that regiment. But you did obviously go on to be an officer. So but, but you could only go up to a certain level without a degree. Is that right? It was called a short service commission. That's all you uh... could get from Mons in Aldershot. And that put you below the people that had Sandhurst and their A-levels. Okay. 
Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, well, that was the same. I, I had a short service commission as well. You went through that. You left as a captain, if I'm not um, wrong. In 1970, you married your um, your late wife, Ginny, who, I, unfortunately, I, I never met. Um, but she seemed to be the catalyst for an incredible decade um, or more of, of adventure. Um, how much was she the, the driving force behind the uh, Transglobe expedition? Um, 100% in terms of its origins, yeah. It was her idea. Um, we were beginning to go away from hot expeditions in the Sahara and the Nile and all that sort of thing, and Arabia, um, because we were finding we depended entirely on sponsorship. Everything had to be paid for by somebody else because we had no money, and therefore we discovered that you need media coverage to get sponsorship. If you haven't got media coverage, but at that particular time, media were only in British media were only interested in cold expeditions we're talking 1969 70 and so Ginny decided we would have to go for huge polar records that would get the media interested that would get the sponsorship and we needed 1900 sponsors just for one expedition and it took us seven years working in the SAS headquarters near Sloan Square Duke of York's barracks and the SAS kindly sponsored us but because I had had a sort of problem with the regular SAS previously due to misunderstanding on, on explosives and what you can and cannot blow up, like civilian property, and I was thrown out. So I had to go into the our reserve squadron of the SAS, and they would not act as a captain, which I had been. And yet I was wanting money. And a captain's salary is a lot better than a trooper. So I put up with being a trooper in our squadron, SAS, for a year, went back to the major in charge and said, what about promotion? I've been in for a year. I've behaved myself this time. And he said, well, corporal, that wasn't much better pay than a trooper. So I therefore took a job as a captain in the um, London SAS, 21 SAS. And they sponsored us with the headquarters and everything else. And because they thought I was irresponsible, they put the, the brigadier who had been the colonel of the SAS that threw me out back in 66 for the explosives incident. Uh, he was put in charge of Ginny and me for the Transglobe expedition. That's the way they think. We had to have TA pay for seven years of getting 1900 sponsors together. And we discovered that the only polar records, because I'm not saying the Amazon or the Nile, which is longer or whatever, Ed, but... Um, yeah, it, it was poles. There were only two poles. And we discovered to our horror that these people called Norwegians had broken nearly all the polar records. We call them rivals. We call them enemy. And basically, we <laughs> found one record, Ginny discovered, that they tried and couldn't get. And that was the first journey around planet Earth vertically. And that's what she went for. So to answer your question, yes, she was the driving force. But you, were you paid by the um, TA then for the entire expedition as well? Not when we were not doing TA payable events. I would no, yeah, but, okay. but they provided us with a free headquarters in the middle of London. There wasn't a telephone, but one night a friend of mine uh, in the GPO, as it was called, uh, he at night clipped us into the MOD telephone system at the Duke of York's. Amazing. Um, that clearly, that was a expedition that that um, 
that sort of lasted the test of time and clearly it meant a huge amount to you and all of the other people involved um and you know we we i attend again for the sake of the listeners transglobe expedition trust trustee meetings that you attend as well and it's it's clear that it's had a huge impact on your life um do you think that um one was it was it probably one of the fondest periods of your life and and two do you think there's a a place for such a huge scale expedition today um if you find a big meaningful record for travel like you did on the amazon that is not what we call jingoistic you might uh, for instance in the 70s we needed to cross 900 miles totally unexplored at a time when there were no polar orbiting satellites no gps or sat nav or sat phone or anything other than if you want direction and we're crossing an area bigger than america um 900 miles of which is totally unexplored unmapped then you need quick navigation system and all we did was to look at the left hand watch on greenwich time the other other wrist on local time look at the sun and you know more or less where to head uh, into the middle of nowhere and it's white that was in the 70s okay early 70s by the 90s we were able to use sat nav and sat phone and it was much much easier People might think that you're joking about that, but you weren't at all, were you? The um, the technology was was so basic back then that you really, literally, were using your watch to navigate through the through the fog for direction. But for knowing where we were, and because the guy with me, Oliver Shepherd, was doing scientific work and drilling, he had to have the exact grid reference of where we were each time we stopped to get the ice drill down to get the cores out yeah. for scientific people. And to do that, he needed the exact where we were so i would have to at the end of the day when you're cold you have to go outside with your sextant or the odd light get the altitude of the sun all that people don't do down nowadays and so it was much quicker now you go in the tent cup of coffee uh switch on your sat nav and it'll tell you within a minute where you are and that saves 45 minutes in the cold yeah it's very very different today isn't it um Fast forwarding then from from that time to to 1992, um, you and Mike Stroud. This was one of the first times that I I became aware of your expeditions. Actually, um, undertook the longest ever unsupported polar journey in history by crossing the Antarctic continent. I must confess, I've not read your book. I've actually read um, Mike's book, um, not you. But he describes you as being just focused beyond belief, really, in terms of getting the task done. Um, what do you think that it is in you? Because, I mean, this podcast for me isn't just about people going places and, and doing ridiculous things. It's, it's getting under the skin of, of what makes people who they are. But what do you think it, it is in you that allows you to be so focused on, on the task that you're doing? I think without uh, trying to joke about it, um, the inability to get A-levels or more than two O-levels <laughs> Uh, suggests that you're not actually high in the intelligence quota. And I find when we're recruiting people for expeditions, the ones who've got uh, no O-levels and no A-levels are normally ones with less, and I'm generalising, less ego, less uh, sarcasm. And basically, it's not one-upmanship the whole time. And if they hate you, because you're a leader or because of any particular reason, uh, you hate them back. And I found that the most difficult expeditions of all is going by yourself when you've got no one to hate. Okay. And I've been with uh, Ollie Shepard and Charlie Burton and Anton Bowring and people like that 
for 50 years now sort of thing. And we come back again and again and again to do things together. But we hate each other very often en route when you've got every time you walk, you've got gangrene squelching between two toes and so on. You, you, you're inclined to take it out on someone else. And when Charlie Burton and I had to decide whether to float from the North Pole, where we arrived late on the journey around the world, on a bit of ice because it was all breaking up by then. And from then on, we wouldn't be going where we wanted to go. We'd be going for three or four months on where this ice flow took us from north of Siberia. And I decided that we must stop while there was still a reasonable flow that might just about take a twin otter to land in an emergency. And he, Charlie, said, if we decide to stop now on this ice flow, we've only done 200 miles from the North Pole, got 800 miles to go to get to the top of Greenland or Spitsbergen or Siberia. You're doing it too early. You're too frightened. And I said, well, foolish virgins can say that. If we move on from this one going south, it's all breaking up. We'll never find another flow. So we then put the tents up and yum, 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 you know, from Charlie um, muck, 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 <laughs> for the next three months of floating. I turned out right as it was, and Anton Bowring very bravely and with his wonderful international crew that you know, managed to get to where we were floating and sa- saved the whole 10 years of our lives on the expedition. Wow. The planning and the execution. Yeah, that is incredible. Um if you don't have other people around you then to, to, to vent that anger, have you, have you found that, that the intensity of being alone, obviously that, this is something that I've, I've experienced as well from being dropped off on, on a desert island on my own for 60 days, um, which I found extraordinarily difficult. Um, how have you found that has manifested then when, you, when you've only got yourself to, um, to be angry at, I suppose? Um, in hot places, no problem. Jungle places, no problem. Cold places big problem. In the Antarctic, uh, even though we get very good at spotting where there are crevasses, where someone else might walk over them, we still are not perfect. And so crossing, you know, 1800 miles or whatever it was, there are going to be a lot of crevasses and you're going to fall into them. If you are by yourself, even if you've got a self-rescue stuff around your waist, very often you're going to get jammed and you're going to die slowly because no one will haul you out. If you go with another person who is polar aware and you're changing over the lead because it's knackering in soft snow, the one who's first, as you know, um, you therefore will get pulled out of the very worst crevasses because when you go into that area, you naturally hoik up on at least a 100-meter rope and uh, when one falls in, the other one will anchor and pull him out. So going by yourself is stupid. We do it, I know, every now and again, but it's still stupid, and we only do it because it's been done by two Norwegians already. <laughs> well, so that you could say that you did it solo. Exactly, yeah. one up on yeah. them. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. that's I'm talking to you about the Antarctic and crevasses. The same applies in the Arctic, because you're thin ice. You're often going on very thin and sludgy ice. You fall in. You can't just swim out. You've got big skis attached to your feet and something tied onto your back. So you scream for the other guy, and he'll come and he'll haul you out. And very often before we go into an area which is maybe good, maybe not, we will rope up anyway. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Moving forward to 2003, now only three and a half months after a massive heart attack, a three-day coma and a double bypass, you, again with Mike Stroud, um, achieved the first 7x7x7, and just to, again to explain to the listeners what that means, is seven marathons in seven consecutive days on seven continents. Um, and again, I, I read this book um the Mike Stroud version of this book um, and, um, you know, the, the dogged determination to achieve simply what Mike did was extraordinary. But Mike, quite understandably, did walk for some of those um, those marathons. But you ran every single step of every single marathon. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it depends on your derivation of run compared with job. <laughs> well, OK, but but you didn't just walk it and turn up. You actually ran. I mean, it stuck with me for years that I just it just how you could physiologically run every step of every marathon. But you did, didn't you? Uh, yeah, we did. But th- that whole thing was not my fault. It was Mike's idea in the first place. And it was a very original idea. And he rang me up and said, would I do this thing? He didn't explain it exactly. It went, I, and I said, what is it basically? And he said, marathons. I said, Mike, look, you and me, we don't run marathons. We might walk long ways in difficult conditions. And he said, look, anybody can run a marathon. You just have to do a bit of training, which we then did. And I didn't know that uh, three and a half months before it would happen, uh, I was going to have a heart attack. Mm. You used to be a smoker, didn't you? Do you think that was part of why you had the heart attack? Do you do you put it down to things um, like smoking? No, I mean, the, the surgeon at the time, a wonderful NHS surgeon in Bristol Royal Infirmary, um, you know, afterwards they're saying, why do you think Ran had this heart attack? He, he didn't really smoke for a long, long time before that, didn't drink. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nothing at all. And then the other doctor said, yes, but we uh, understand that he, he got the heart attack on board a EasyJet flight. Oh, really? What, just due to the pressure of the cabin or something? Due to the name EasyJet, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I think he was joking. I don't want to get hand up for libel. <laughs> okay, um, right, good. No, we, we just, <laughs> it so happened that uh, it burst and uh, the wonderful surgeon Angelini Gianni Angelini is still there. He's, he's a great, great guy, and he saved my life. And he decided on the second day of my being unconscious on on a life support machine that he would um, do a double bypass, and, and that saved my life. I know that when we've met in the past, um, for example, at the campfire events, you would often go off on a run. You'd take your running kit in the back of your car. Do you, are you still running today? 
I'm still doing an hour and a half. Uh, you've interrupted that today, but so basically, <laughs> no, that's okay. Good excuse. Um, yeah, I, it's now called a walk because of um, curvature of the spine. I did say to Mike Stroud, you know, was my spine curved with scoliosis at the bottom of the vertebrae? Did it happen because of all the 30 years that Mike and I, and then before that, Charlie and Ollie, have been pulling heavy weights, you know, jerk, jerking back and forth? And Mike said, no, you could have been born that way, and it just gets worse as you get older and you get more curved. All right, but but you can't you can't run at the moment then, unfortunately. I, I have to run, walk as fast as I can. Okay. Do you find domestic life a bit boring, Ren? Um, I normally need to make uh, quite a good living because my beloved wife uh, has uh, horses, and uh, <laughs> as as a business, they're not what they used to be, as any person, in, even in Newmarket, would say. Yeah. By which time there were twenty eight of them, and basically. You know, therefore, I need to keep lecturing and writing books. And so long as I, I know that I can cope, uh, then I'm happy. Yeah. I had a cousin called Joe Fines. He's an actor. He does The Handmaid's Tale, which, in which he's the villain. And uh, Nat Geo, who you've been with uh, films, um, wanted us to do a recap of the Nile, the first ascent of the Nile by Hovercraft 50 years ago. So last year we did uh, in Land Rovers uh, the Egyptian sector of that, and that was very interesting, creeping around on knees and um, elbows in these new pyramid sites. And, um, yeah, we were making a film for the British Film Institute, which was going to have us in August, i.e. very soon, doing the Northwest Passage, which will have less ice than it did when we first did the first open boat journey through it in uh, 81 i think so these things keep cropping up and are very interesting but as you know they're not happening at the moment no they're not i think the coldest journey i don't don't know whether this is something that um that that you massively want to dwell on but i remember um again in one of the transglobe expedition trust trustees meetings um you announcing that you were going to attempt to become the first team to cross antarctica um in the winter and it was undeniably one of the boldest um boldest things that i'd ever heard of you know 100 100 uh, percent darkness 24 hours a day darkness and and um and about minus 80 90 degrees celsius um, and i remember when you said to me um that you were going to do it or you were announcing it you looked across at me and there was there was a definite an unmistakable sort of crazy glint in your eye um because you knew how 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 far out there this was but um um i think i relate to that i understand that that sort of um launching yourself into something that is is completely unknown but for the sake of the listeners can you describe the sort of feelings that that launching into a an expedition of of that sort of um scale can you describe the feelings inside or, or, or something behind the glint that you had in your eye you want to make sure, first, the manpower is selected carefully and uh, it's different if you are doing something which the Foreign Office don't want you to do. In fact, you're not allowed to travel, as you know, in Antarctica's interior, nor the British Antarctic Survey outside their bases down there, during the eight-month winter period. So um, when I went to the polar desk in Whitehall, I, I know them quite well by now, and each time I go in there, you see them sort of saying, oh, hell. He's back. And they explained that, yet again, that no, it wasn't permitted. Why not? The British Antarctic Survey are allowed down there, the government people. Why shouldn't we be allowed down there? 
are, but they stay in their bases and so they have an operating theatre for appendicitis, which they might get. They have 18 months of food and survival stuff. And people who go into the interior in winter will run into trouble and will ask for rescue naturally. And there is no rescue facility on the continent. Therefore, you will become embarrassing in that case to the British Foreign Office. So no. So Mike Stroud uh, said, well, okay, can we do it with an operating theatre for appendicitis? Can we haul that? No, we're not going to be able to haul the amount of stuff that allows you to go down there. We will take everything on the list that the British Antarctic Survey base has got to have. So we got two 25-tonne caterpillars sponsored by Caterpillar, um, and we had 18 sponsors to make 18 sledges, which would take enough fuel to get the whole way across and could be hauled by the caterpillars. And Mike and I would follow behind towing nothing with our normal cold polar clothing. To cut a long story short, uh, Mike had to have both hips replaced. um, And I got frostbite in one hand very, very badly. Um, So although we got down there and set out, we only got as far as climbing the difficult 10,000 feet to get up above the crevasse zone. We got there, at which point, you know, bring out the champagne because there's no more crevasses all the way across via the pole to when you have to go down the other side. And on the other side, which is used regularly by Americans, it is flagged, so the crevasses are known. So when you get to the top and you're sitting waiting for the solstice, because to do a winter crossing, you mustn't set up before the date of the solstice, 21st, and you're sitting waiting for the 21st and practising and training That's when my fingers went. But the expedition was largely scientific. Mainly the people who were on it were scientists or a British Antarctic Survey leader, a British Antarctic Survey doctor. And they were trained to do things like um, survive together, uh, which the scientific people going to the moon, the, the, the astronauts practice, so that if they're going to be there for an awful long time together, they'll get on. Well, when they trained to do that, the European Space Agency, they found that they need to have a red button in the tunnel where they're trying to live together so that if one goes mad, he can press the red button and escape. And the very knowledge that they can do that ruins the entire mental process of being stuck together. We, on the other hand, would be no red button, stuck together for nine months of blizzard outside doing scientific work. So when Mike and I said goodbye to them, they remained up there and did all their scientific work. So apart from not doing the winter crossing on foot, which we didn't, everything else that we were going to do, including raising a lot of money for charity, so far we've raised over £18 million from the expeditions, including that one. But in terms of the winter crossing, it's not never been done even by the Norwegians. No, it still hasn't been done to this day, has it? No. Bring it in to your hand and, and your specifics. I believe it was Richmond, wasn't it? The... Um engineer who is now married to Ginny Bowring did he come and find you with the when um because you went out and on a training mission yeah is that correct he very kindly um left the others and set out into a deep fog couldn't see the tracks that had gone before and I couldn't see my ski tracks that had gone before I was traveling entirely on the feel under my skis 
when I hit virgin snow, I could feel it. Therefore, I knew I'd left the outward track. But it was going wrong. And one hand completely went, which had already some years previously had damage done to it, right up in big blisters. And I was going very, very slowly and very worried that I would lose the tracks. So when I saw a light coming, that was just brilliant. Entirely Richmond taking a big risk very kindly. And as you say, he then married not my Ginny, but Minnie Ginny, who was born um, (laughs) on an expedition where no women were allowed originally. (laughs) And uh, they're still trustees like you are of the Transglobe Expedition. And they're second generation Transglobers. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I know it's quite, it's quite amazing how that's come full circle and they've ended up getting married, isn't it? It's, a, it's quite a lovely story, really. Are you still expeditioning, Rand? Because um, I know that the, the, there was the, the, the seven summits on seven continents that you, that you started at. Is that, is that just a physical thing? Are you not able to continue um, doing that? No, I, I tried to climb the tallest mountain in Scotland called Ben Nevis by the tourist route uh, for charity. And never having got up Ben Nevis, um, and we failed because the people whose tracks in the snow we were following turned round and didn't reach the top. And we were <laughs> right. we had no ordnance survey or compass or anything, so we thought it advisable to follow them back down. Um, no, I ended up uh, being the first person to climb Everest and the Eiger North Face, and crossing both polar uh, ice caps. But what I didn't do, which is much easier than Everest, was the um, Denali in the north, Aconcagua in the south, and a little tiny jungle hill, uh, the name of which I've forgotten in Papua. Okay, so it's just those three that you were missing. Yeah, but I, I will always miss them because of my age, and height, the effect, anything over 16,000 feet uh, would get me two years ago, and now it'll be 12,000 feet. I might not even manage Mont Blanc now. What is that? That's because of your age. Why can't you get up to altitude at age? You'd have to ask a, a doctor why it has that effect. Ed, if you want to climb mountains, do it now. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I have no intention of climbing mountains, but thank you. <laughs> um, you of all people seem to have kept going on and on and on throughout your life and it's extraordinary that it was um, what was the original uh, date 1984 when you were called the greatest living explorer and you've just kept going but um, do you feel like you're 100% fulfilled with your, your life achievements do you feel like you can you can sit back and, and enjoy the, the rest of your life having having done let's face it 50 times more than most people would ever do in terms of exploration I definitely failed in doing what I wanted to do desperately from the age when my mum first taught me about my dad. Um, I wanted to be the commanding officer like he was at the Battle of Alamein. And I'm really, really proud of my dad, killed four months before I was born. And I just always wanted to be Colonel of the Scots Grace, a wonderful, wonderful regiment. And I failed. So I turned to the other expeditions because of being unable to get a regular commission. Okay. I, I think you're being quite hard on yourself there, but um, it's obviously led to quite, some quite amazing things, though. So, But that is incredible. Um, my final question then, Bran, is um, 
How, if, if at all, how would you like to be remembered? I'd like to be remembered, if, if at all, by anybody, um, as having not done anything cruel and nasty to anybody. I hate cruelty to people or animals. That I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I, you know, I'd even feel bad squatting a fly. I've never killed, well, apart from communist terrorists, I've never killed anything. <laughs> Brilliant. Amazing, amazing last answer to um, to finish on. Rand, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to chat to me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for being such a wonderful trustee. Sometimes we don't agree who to give the money to, but it'd be great. <laughs> Thanks. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms to get new episodes first thing every Monday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 